Hello and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries with me, Chris Wickland. We are now starting finally on Revelation chapter 22. This is the last chapter of this, what's turned out to be nearly a three-year-long project. So <laughs> here we go. So um, basically, uh, chapter 22 contains, if you look at the basic structure of it, an epilogue, an encouragement, a warning, and then a nice liturgical ending to the book and indeed the Bible itself. Now, in this commentary, we haven't really spent much time looking at what happens during the millennial reign of Christ. That's when Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the earth for a thousand years. Revelation seems to mention it in passing, then moves straight to the ultimate climax of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, why is this? Well, simply put, because the Old Testament has already spoken on that subject in considerable detail i.e. in books such as Isaiah and Ezekiel, that has a reasonable amount to say on this particular subject, as do the Psalms and some of the minor prophets, such as Zechariah, for example. Now, I raise this point because as we look at the next few verses of Revelation, I'm going to link it to similar-sounding verses from the book of Ezekiel, and you will note some similarities that reveal Jesus' kingdom on the earth during the millennial reign will still be a shadow of that which will only be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth and upon the new Jerusalem. So as the church age now is a shadow of things to come, so too will Christ's reign on the earth be also a partial fulfillment and shadow of what is still yet to come. So let's just bear that in mind as we move forward. So let's get on to our first verse then. So Revelation 22 verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and out of the Lamb. So let's see how some of this parallels with what is written in throughout the scriptures, which reveal like a snapshot of the millennial reign of Christ, which links to the ultimate fulfillment of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, if people are getting confused here, so the millennial reign of Christ is after the seven year tribulation, then Christ returns. Then comes the thousand year of, of peace, which is the seventh thousandth year, which is like a Sabbath rest for the, for the earth. At the end of that thousand years, then the, um, everything is destroyed by fire. Then God makes a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so millennial reign, new heaven, new earth. So with that in mind, let's see some of the parallels with what is written throughout the scriptures, which reveal a snapshot of the millennial reign of Christ, which links to the ultimate fulfillment on the new heaven and the new earth. All right. So Psalm 46, verse four. Now, bear sorry, let me wind it back a bit. So bear in mind, I've just read Revelation 22, one. I'll read it again. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So this is in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and new earth. Psalm 46, verse four says, there is a river um, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the most high. Wow, there it is in the Psalms as well. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12. <coughs> then he brought me back to the door of the house, i.e. the temple. So this picture you're getting here is a picture of the millennial reign temple that Christ builds. Uh, and you can see this in the book of Ezekiel uh, towards the end. And it says, And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. 
he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water, reaching to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, reaching to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, reaching to the knees. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, reaching to the loins. Again, he measured measured a thousand. I guess this is cubits. And it was a river that I could not ford for the water had risen enough water. So the sorry for the water had risen enough water to swim in a river that could not be forded. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and they go down into the Arabah. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea and the waters of the sea become fresh. Now it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish for these waters go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Enaglaim. And there will be a place for spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt by the river on its bank. And on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. And they will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So here in Ezekiel, we see water of healing coming out from the Temple Mount and running down out of Jerusalem, which is approximately 2,400 feet above sea level. This water then starts to go into places where it forms a stream, then a river, then runs into the Dead Sea itself and heals the Dead Sea so that that it is no longer salty. Uh, This is a shadow and type of the next stage to come, the age when the new heaven and earth is made and the river of life flows out from the throne room of the new Jerusalem. There are other parallels here. You'll notice about those trees that grew that had fruits that just constantly bore every month. This is also true, as we find out in this chapter on Revelation, um, that the same thing happens with the tree of life, which is by the waters of life uh, or living water, and they bear fruits every single month of the year for the healing of the nations. So again, you can see these wonderful parallels in the millennial age with the ultimate age uh, of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. So why am I taking the time to look at these parallels? Well, simple. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying that the Father's kingdom rule and reign would be manifest upon the earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus returns during the millennial reign, God the Father will be seated in heaven on Mount Zion in heaven. See that in Hebrews 12.22. And whilst Jesus will be seated in Mount Zion on the earth, Now, God the Father will be in his kingdom in the new Jerusalem, while Jesus on the earth will be reigning from the earthly Jerusalem. (laughs) 
So God the Father will be ruling over the nation, whilst on the earth God the Son will be ruling over the nations as well. Then in the next age of the new heavens and the new earth, God the Father and the Son will rule and reign from the new Jerusalem over all the nations. What nations, I hear you say? Revelation 21 verse 24, the nations will walk by its light (coughs) and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Verse 26, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So as was mentioned in the previous chapter of this commentary, we retain our ethnical or our ethnic, sorry, identities in the new heaven and new earth. So if you are Canadian, for example, I apologize, uh, you will be forever Canadian. <laughs> sorry if that's a problem. Revelation 22, 1 to 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. Just by the way, I've got no issue with Canadians at all. Don't even know any. So uh, so if any Canadians are offended, I'm only joking. I, I, I don't know any Canadians. None. None at all. So uh, feel free to inbox me. <laughs> Verse, Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And you'll notice that that sounds very similar to that Ezekiel passage that we read earlier. Now you might think, well, maybe they're talking about the same same thing. Well, no, because we know if you read on in those Ezekiel passages, it's really referring to, you know, the sea that was healed was the Dead Sea, but this is a new Jerusalem we're talking about in Revelation. This water is not coming into the old earth. It's coming onto a new earth. Okay, and remember, the reason why that Dead Sea is dead is because of the whole thing where they reckon it links back to Sodom and Gomorrah. So here we get a small snapshot of a scene from within the new Jerusalem. Now, I'm reminded of my time in America where they have these huge hotels, so huge that sections have their own mini climate with accompanying jungle and waterfalls, etc. Now, within the New Jerusalem, we see a similar scene, but on an immense scale. Within a city of such splendor and structure is also the beauty of creation, natural creation as well. Now, you can almost see the scene with birds flying aloft and alighting from the tree of life darting here and there. The tree of life, although a single tree, appears to have two massive trunks trunks which tower and arch over the river of life from each side, likely connected by one like a circle with its roots underneath and its branches massively arching canopy making a massive uh, arching canopy above so why do i say a massive canopy well because many and i'm just i'm hazarding a guess here but many ancient civilizations around the world actually mention the tree of life in their so-called creation myth so to them it is a huge monolithic beautiful tree now this beautiful tree from the Bible, produces 12 different kinds of fruit, yielding fresh fruit each month. And we're not sure if the tree produces 12 varieties of fruits each month or a different fruit each month. I don't know. <coughs> so I what I mean is 12 varieties of fruits and every month they're renewed or every month is a different kind of fruit. So maybe month one, it's bananas. Month two, it's apples. Month three, as opposed to uh, it always produces apples, bananas and grapes and then it just every month gives you a fresh batch of them. I'm not sure if if these different kinds of fruits yielded each month are all at the same time or sequentially. I don't know. And I don't even know if it's bananas or apples. I'm just giving you an example. Now, 
This is interesting because let's not forget the new earth is probably bound by time like our world is. So therefore it is still marked by seasons and thus months and time. Why? Because remember each of those fruits grew on a different month. Okay, that's important. If we're in a place of eternity where there is no time, then there wouldn't be a month. We wouldn't we wouldn't mention it. We know that God is eternally transcendent that is to say outside and above the limitations of time and space yet in the new earth god chooses to bring his heavenly city the new jerusalem down onto the earth and so the transcendent god chooses to live forever with his creation now i am saying the new earth is bound by time because the tree of life grows its fruit each month thus meaning there is a sense of chronology and thus time <coughs> But remember, on the new earth, we are immortal and live forever. So time does not limit us as it does in our current earth. It is not really time which is our enemy, but the sin within us that is basically slowly but surely killing our outer bodies with age and decay. But in the resurrection and in the new earth, there is no death, no sin, no decay, no sickness, no disease. Praise his holy name. Now, the leaves of the 12 fruits from the tree brings healing to the nations. Now, I find this an interesting statement as to why in our glorified state do we need healing to our ethnic groups, our nations. Remember the word nations in the Greek is ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity from. So why do we need healing to our ethnic groups, the healing of the nations? Again, you know, I need to make it clear we're not all Jewish in the new earth, as some suppose. We're at, we actually retain our ethnicity and likely our skin culture, color, and our culture as well, that culture which is godly. Now maybe, uh, and I say maybe, the healing leaves for the nations is constantly wiping away the stains and pains and issues of identity from our history upon the earth. Personally, I, I don't know, and let's be honest, <clears throat> most commentators don't even actually comment on this at all, so I'm just putting it out there for you. Now remember the number 12 Again, 12 fruits, 12 months uh, denotes perfection. So these leaves in the 12 months of the year also denotes God's perfect solution of health and vitality to his perfected people in the presence of a perfect God upon a perfect world. Revelation 22 verse 3, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So what is this curse? Well, there are various curses to mention. The curse of sin and death, which transpired from the expulsion of the Garden of Eden. See Genesis 3. The sin on creation. Um, so, yeah, so remember in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Because they sinned, God expelled them from the, uh, the Garden of Eden. So they couldn't have access to the Tree of Life. And that's when they began to age, so to speak, or because of sin in their bodies. And that's when they became uh, fully mortal and would die. Um, there was also the sin on creation because of man's rebellion and also the curse of the Torah. See Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 to 68, <coughs> excuse me, to see what that curse looks like. Torah is only relevant and endures to the end, by the way, of the messianic millennial reign. It does not go into the new heavens and the new earth. Why do I state this? Because Matthew 5.18 says, this is Jesus speaking, For most certainly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, so until that moment, until, the he until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter 
or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the Torah until all things are accomplished. <clears throat> so this verse reveals that Torah is only relevant until heaven and earth pass away. This is not some kind of hyperbolic device here. It is an actual fact that when the current heaven and earth pass away, then so will Torah. The Torah shall not pass away until all things have been accomplished and been fulfilled. Once the end of the age comes and the old heavens and earth are destroyed by fire, then the Torah, the heavenly priestly tabernacle, will all come to an end. And this is why there's no temple or tabernacle in the New Jerusalem when it lands on the new earth, for it will no longer be required because sin, rebellion, death and curse will have passed away forever. <clears throat> now, it may be, and I put this out there as a possible scenario, I'm just conjecturing here, that our roles will also change. We will always, always remain forever priests of the order of Melchizedek, but it's possible that our functions within that order may change as there is no heavenly temple anymore. Now, remember Revelation 21, 22 tells us that there is no temple anymore, whereas from chapters 4 to 20 of the book of Revelation, we see God in his heavenly sanctuary, temple or tabernacle. Now, once the new heaven and earth is made, there is no longer any temple or Torah required for those things have come to their conclusion at the end of the previous earth and heaven being destroyed by fire. See 2 Peter 3.10. So the old has gone and the new has come. There is no old order and thus no sin and therefore no sacrifice for sin, thus no Torah and no temple. Now, I appreciate some may take umbrage with this concept or idea, but from the study on the book of Revelation and various other scriptures, it does seem to point this way more clearly than not. Revelation 22 verse 3, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve him. So here we can see that the throne room, which used to be within the heavenly temple, sanctuary, tabernacle, with the cherubim, seraphim, the 24 elders, etc., has moved into the city of the new Jerusalem. And verse 3 concludes with this statement, and his bondservants will serve him there. This may seem a little bit obtuse to some, but to be a bond slave, i.e. a slave of righteousness, a slave and a servant of God, is the best and greatest joy and honor we could ever hope to aspire to and inherit through the precious blood of the Lamb. Blessed be his name. This hints to us that even in the new earth and new heaven, there's still work to do. And we know from the previous chapter, Revelation 21, 24 to 27, that there will be kings and queens upon the new earth, which means there will be an administering of God as king over new kingdoms of different ethnicities. See my commentary on Revelation 22, 24 to 27 for more on that. So here we get just a tiny, tiny hint of life in the age to come. There is life. There is work. There are kingdoms, kings, queens, and a whole new way of life, a fresh start, possibly with brand new feasts and festivals. For the memory of the former things has passed away, Revelation 21 verse 4, and all things become new. There we go. That will do you for today. There's plenty there for you to chew on. I'm sure um, there's things there you may disagree with, but I, I'm, I'm not saying that this is hard and fast fact. I'm just making it honest with you that you know I'm trying to do my best to interpret what I'm reading and I'm just putting some conjecture and some ideas out there which may be of valid merit or not I don't know 
But uh, because, let's be honest, when you get to the Bible commentaries on these verses, they go a little bit on the thin side because <laughs> it's like, what are we looking at here? And I'm trying to just get my head into that space. Like, what are we looking at here? What does this look like? Is there any way we could relate to this? So anyway, we're getting there, aren't we, towards the end of this series now. And uh, when it's finished, I will then have to <laughs> go back to the beginning and start all over again and then turn it into book format. Oh, well. Anyway, until the next time, God bless you all and see you again soon. Bye bye. Thank you.